that you're alive. Jesus, you are not a martyr that just died and we remember, but Jesus, you are alive and well today. God, we thank you that you rose from the grave and that you are calling us forward. You are calling us out of death into life. Lord, out of darkness into light. Lord, I pray that today as we talk about grace and and the the shackles of, of guilt and shame, Lord, of trying to earn your love, I just pray that you would help us to be free of that and embrace your grace. So God, I just pray that today that we would listen to your word with open hearts, with open minds. Lord, that we would do business in our hearts that we would evaluate ourselves and we'd say, uh, am I doing this? Am I not? God, I just pray that you'd help me to embrace the message today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You and I might spend about 70 to 80 years on this earth. Not long when you consider the timeline of eternity. Have you ever wondered what life is all about? Every day we get bombarded with a message to pursue the things of this world. Make money, get stuff, be comfortable, live well. More, 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 and me, me, me. That's the prevailing message of our day. Our generation has a hijacked version of the American dream. But as Christians, we know deep down this distorted view of life isn't real life. We read what the Bible teaches and we see how Jesus lived. Every day we face a choice to pursue the me, me, me mindset of the American dream or to pursue Christ. What if this generation was willing to trade in the pursuit of the American dream for a world that desperately needs Christ to be traitors? A trader is a new kind of missionary, not defined by geography. Where you live doesn't make you a missionary. The mission you're on makes you a missionary. Being a trader is a movement that requires us to live out our faith, not just talk about it. As a trader, we must choose daily to sacrifice and be intentional with our time, money, and skills. We can be like the Good Samaritan in the parable. When we're on the road of life and see someone in need, we choose to help. We follow Jesus' instructions to go and do likewise. A trader must hate injustice and find specific ways to bring the hope found in Jesus to desperate situations. It's easy to identify what you hate. What makes your heart break and your fists clench? A trader sees work as worship. Everything you do in life, including your job, can be an opportunity to worship the God who created you. Because God is glorified when we use our God-given passions and skills with excellence. And finally, a trader must act swiftly because the time is right now. The result of all this would be a generation of traders who are making choices with their time, money, and passions that are kingdom-focused and not self-focused so that our short time here can have an eternal impact. Will you be a trader? Trader, not traitor, right? Will you be a trader? Now, last week I was standing out here in the foyer before, uh, actually in the atrium before first service, and I was visiting with a friend of mine, and and uh, I just happened to be the next day going on a fishing trip. I was going to get on the motorcycle and ride over to Arlington, uh, Wyoming. I don't know that it's really a town; it's more of a place. And uh, and and go fishing with Pat Woodward. And I asked this person. I said, "Hey." Um, you know, I knew he had a motorcycle, and I said, I'm going to ride my bike over to uh, Arlington and do some fishing, and he's a fisherman too. I said, would you be interested in going? And he was like, nothing on my schedule. Sure, yeah, I'll go with you. 
So we met at my house at 8 o'clock in the morning, and we left. It was cool. It was, it was beautiful. Of course, you know, we were fresh. We were well-rested. Um, we, we drove over to Wheatland. We went through Sabeel Canyon. It was beautiful. We went through Rock River. We stopped there, had a little bite to eat, a little bit of lunch, and took a little break. And then we went to Arlington and met up with Pat, and we fished uh, Rock Creek for three and a half hours. And then we got back on our motorcycles, and we rode all the way back. Now, by the time I got home, I was exhausted. Uh, 400 miles, almost, just shy of 400 miles. Uh, and, uh, but it was a great day. And, and it, was, it was such an adventure. Now, not an adventure in that we had problems or anything, but, but it, an adventure in such that there were so many things to see, and we, saw, we, we, we stopped quite a few times, and, and, uh, and then when we got back. Now, the reason I tell that story is because I was already in relationship with this person. You know, we were good friends, and, 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 and he didn't have to go with me, and I didn't have to invite him to go with me, but I did. And, and in that process, it, it made the journey a lot better. It, it made the journey a, a lot more fun, more of kind of an adventure. I think sometimes in our relationship with Jesus Christ, that's kind of where we're at. You know, we, we, when we surrender our life to him, we're in relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? He, he promises us the hope of, of eternal life. That is secure, and then, and then what do we do? We just kind of live our life, right? We, we go through life, and, and we have this option. Um, because Jesus doesn't just invite us to the hope of heaven. Jesus invites us to the hope that in, in life that we're living right now. That, that we're walking with Him today. For the rest of our life on this planet. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think that we need to do it on our own. See, I could have gone on that trip on my own. I didn't uh, you know, necessarily need this friend of mine to go with me. But, but, but in being together, in relationship together that day, it, it made it so much more enjoyable. And there's so many times in my own life where, where I think it's up to me to get this done. I just need to try harder. I need to work harder. I need to buckle down. I need to be more disciplined. And, and, and yes, there are commands and there are things in Scripture that we are to obey. But sometimes we get so involved in the doing that we forget about the being together with Christ. And, and, and that's the challenge for us today. Is, is Because we've been talking for several months um, you know, we went through the Apostles' Creed. We, we looked at the parables. We've, we've looked at commands of Jesus. And, and, and here's how he says that we should live. And those are true. But we can't live those things unless we are first in Christ. And that's one thing that he wants to remind us of today. Uh, that, that we are in Christ. Now, we tried, we attempted for service with a backup microphone, mic, mic cable, and it didn't work. So I'm destined to another Sunday of holding a microphone in my hand. So please bear with me as far as that is concerned. Adam pointed out a passage in Revelation to me this week that I'd never thought of from the perspective that he pointed out to me. Uh, it's, it's a letter to one of the churches. Uh, I think it's chapter 3, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But it's the, it's the passage where Jesus says that I stand at the door and knock. And if you will open... Uh, the door. I will come in and I will, um, I will eat with you. Essentially, I will, I will live with you. Okay. Now, I, I've, I've, uh, I've always understood that passage, and there are many others that that point to the same thing. That that, that that's essentially what Jesus does: is he stands at the door. Um, that 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 he's that he's a, a gentleman. He doesn't force his way into our life, um, but but he invites us to to receive this gift of salvation. And uh, 
And, and, and so it's, it's like he's standing there at the door and knocking. But, but the thing that Adam pointed out to me was that letter was to a church. That letter was written to believers. And, and so even as a believer, uh, Jesus stands at the door of your heart and mine on a daily basis, and he knocks, and he says, Hey, walk with me today. Don't do this on your own. Don't, don't be all about yourself, but, but walk with me today. And so today we look at a man, I don't know if you know who he is, uh, his name is Paul. Ever heard of Paul? Uh, Paul uh, traded in a very successful rabbinic lifestyle. He was a powerful, powerful religious leader. And he traded that in uh, so he could tell Gentiles about a man that the Jews rejected. Now some might say that was a terrible trade. But, but as we're going to see, that, uh, that, that Paul became a very effective trader. And, and one of the things that concerns me about the contemporary church today, one of the things that, that concerns me about myself personally as I struggle through this, this giving over and living my life completely for Christ and in the power of Christ, is, is that we, we oftentimes think that this trade that we make, that, that we trade uh, the American dream for ministry or for doing things for God. Now, I, I think doing things is definitely a part of it, okay? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater for sure. But as we read the letters of Paul in the New Testament, um, we see him constantly and, and almost solely focused at, at the very foundation of everything that he has written on Christ. Paul... Paul is a very Christocentric man. Everything, everything that we read and, and the application of those things comes from the fact that Christ is in us and, and we are living our life with him. Okay, so turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, it's one of the four uh, letters uh, of Paul. Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians, and then Colossians. Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to see this morning five areas of this adventure that I call life in Christ, of following Jesus that Paul traded for. Okay, things that made his trade a very good one. And I think they're probably the very things that we all personally would trade for as well. So look at verse 1 there of Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I... Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. So the first thing that Paul trades for in his life, as we're looking here, Paul traded for Christ. Paul traded for Christ. Everything in Paul's life revolved around Jesus Christ. Now, Paul says here in verse 1 that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, the argument could be made that Paul was a prisoner of Nero. It was the Roman government that put Paul in prison. But Paul doesn't look at it that way. Paul doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Nero. Paul says, I am a prisoner of Christ. He's so focused on the sovereignty of God in all circumstances of life, the good and the bad, that, it, that he always points to Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where he finds himself. It doesn't matter if he's shipwrecked, if he's floating in the water, if he's hungry. Paul sees himself and recognizes that it is for Jesus, Jesus Christ. 
whenever he describes himself, he describes himself in relation to Christ. Uh, Paul says, I am a servant to Christ. I am a slave to Christ. I am a minister of Christ. In Philippians, Paul says that for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. One commentator says this about Paul. He says, Paul was a Christ-intoxicated man. I love the picture of that. A Christ-intoxicated man. Everything Paul did was influenced by Jesus Christ. He was under the influence of Jesus. Now, I'm still learning to be a Christ-intoxicated man. I still pick up things on my own. And, and when I do, it wears me out. It just makes me tired trying to do all of the right things in my own power, trying to be the person that people want me to be in my own power. I have to remember that it's a daily submission to Jesus in my life. I want the times when I make major decisions, and we talked about this a little bit last week. I, I want, I, honestly, I want to get up in the morning with the mindset that Jesus, this is my life is, I want to walk with you today. You know, you've been up all night. He never goes to sleep. He works all the time. When we get up, we're like breaking into the middle of his day. <laughs> so it's like, okay, Jesus, how can I be a part of your day today? How can I walk with you each day, interacting with Jesus constantly. In, in the book Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning, he says this, When the religious views of others interpose between us and the primary experience of Jesus as the Christ, we become unconvinced and unpersuasive travel agents handing out brochures to places we've never visited. When anything comes between me and my relationship with Jesus Christ, I become an un convinced and unpersuasive travel agent. You know, a travel agent who says, here's, here's brochures to three different places. Okay? I hear they're all beautiful. Um, and then you ask a few questions, and they talk about this, and they talk about that. But then there's this one brochure that they're talking about where they say, you know, here's this one. And, and let's say it's, it's the Bahamas, because I've been there. Um, and then there's the Bahamas. And, and let me tell you about the Bahamas. When, when I went to the Bahamas with my wife, um, we, we, we sat on this one beach for, for a morning and we, we snorkeled and we saw these incredible fish. And, and, and actually, Sarah swam out there sort of in the, in the ocean. It is an ocean, right? Um, with this, uh, what are they called? Stingray. Thank you. Boy, it just, the story just went out. Um, with this stingray, and, and, and I went out there and saw it for a little bit, and then it, then it got scared of me, I guess, and left. But um, we saw this beautiful stingray, and, and, and there, oh, there was this one beach that we were on. Um, it was called Moon Cay. And uh, when we hit this beach, have you, ever, uh, have you ever opened a fresh bag of brown sugar and felt what that sugar felt like? You know, right when you first open it. That's exactly, and I'm telling you, there was no difference. That's exactly what the sand felt like. It was that fine. It was that cool. Now, after having heard this spiel from the travel agent, where are you most likely to go? You're most likely to go to the place where you know for a fact that it is this way. And, and that's how we are in our lives as Christians if we're only telling somebody something, but we haven't actually experienced it ourselves. 
And I used to tell our youth leaders all the time, it can't happen through you until it happens to you. you the kids will see right through it. You can't tell them one thing if it's not real in your life. Paul, this, this Christ life that he was living was real. He has experienced it and he is, he is communicating it to people all over, all, all over Asia and Asia Minor. Now, whenever I do a wedding, whenever I do a wedding, I stand at the front with the groom and, and I always watch him for part of the, t- part of the beginning of the ceremony. Because, because when that bride enters the back door, his face lights up. And it always reminds me of the day that I stood right here with, with then our pastor Brad and, and my wife-to-be entered that doorway right there. I mean, the love and the joy that I experienced in that moment and have experienced over and over and over. It hasn't all been joy, of course. You know, marriage is tough. But let me tell you what. I am convinced that it is good and it is a gift from God. And, and I stood here and, and as, as Cassandra, the little, our little flower girl who I would, you know, soon adopt... As she walked up this aisle, I just bawled like a baby. I mean, the tears were streaming down, down my eyes. I, I, it was just such an experience. And then, of course, when Sarah walked down the aisle, what happened again? Started crying again, you know, tears flowing. Then, I mean, people by now are thinking, man, can this guy, is he, can he get it together? Right? Then in the midst of the ceremony, some of you were here, my brother unbeknownst to me, stands up in the middle of the wedding and reads a letter from my mother from heaven. Dude, you got to tell me about stuff like that, right? I mean, I, and he's a great writer, and I'm, and I'm this is, as I look back on this, I think, man, what, what memories we all have of, of that day. Some of them may not be that, that great. You know, maybe it was a disaster. But they're memories nonetheless, and, and we experienced it. And, and we can attest to those experiences. That love and joy and happiness that, that I have felt over the last 22 years have at times been overwhelming, just like in the moment during that ceremony. And, and there are times in our relationship with Jesus Christ when we understand how incredibly forgiven we are, how much of a wretch we really are. It, you know, you can't candy coat humanness. And, 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 and we, we get on our knees before a holy God and we recognize that He has poured out His grace on us, that, that He takes us as we are. He doesn't say, fix yourself and then you can come to me. No, He says, come to me, surrender your life to me, and, and you know what? I'll take care of it. And, and He goes to work. And then we experience life with Him on a daily basis. Basis. Now, I heard a speaker once say, I know why pastors burn out. And, and I think it can be applied to any of us in, in regard to, to, to Christ. And, and I would say it this way, I know why people burn out doing ministry. Um, I know why people burn out serving in the church. It's because they start out walking with Jesus and they end up working for him. We start out in this new life with Christ, walking with him. And somewhere along the lines, we get it in our heads that we have to prove ourselves, that we have to earn His love or, or, or make Him feel good about us, and, and we start working for Him. 
Paul traded his rabbinic lifestyle and the law for Christ. And if that had been all he traded for, it would have been enough. Have you traded your righteous or religious or self-attempt lifestyle for Christ? Maybe today is the day that you would do that. Are you a Christ-intoxicated woman? Are you a Christ-intoxicated man? Because that's what we trade all that other stuff for. Jesus. Now look at verse 2. Chapter, uh, chapter 3. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, Paul says. The second thing Paul trades for is grace. It's grace. Paul traded for grace. Grace, Philip Yancey says, is the last great word. It's Jesus' unmerited favor upon us. It's his unmerited kindness toward us. His undeserved love. Now, if you're one who circles in your Bibles, I want you to circle the words administration and grace. Administration and grace. Now, the word administration is an interesting one in this passage. You know, if if you use the New American Standard, it doesn't say administration. It says stewardship. It uses the word stewardship. And in the original language, that's what the word means. It means stewardship. Now, in the ancient world, and we looked at a parable about this last week, in the ancient world, when a wealthy landowner would leave on vacation or leave for a period of time um, to maybe go in another land, um, they would leave everything to their most trusted servant. And when they got back, they would have expected that person to have taken care, good care of it. In fact, um, they would always expect them to have brought a return on all that they left them. That is stewardship. That's taking care of what has been given you. And it's usually related to money or our resources or our time. But in this passage, Paul uses the word stewardship to describe grace. He says that God has called us to be stewards of his grace. And in order for us to be stewards of God's grace, we have to experience it ourselves first, right? I mean, we can't... We can't be a steward of it and and dispense it unless we first receive it. Now, Paul, previously Saul, in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, this describes Paul, who he was and what he did. And, And Saul was there giving approval to his death, meaning Stephen. They stoned him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. That is Saul's life. Soon to be Paul. What evil actions he was performing. Dragging Believers out of their homes and putting them in prison, condoning the stoning of people because of what they believed. But then he experienced grace. On the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, he is confronted with Jesus Christ himself. And his life, when he surrenders it, is changed forever. Uh, To the point where, of course, people are nervous to be around him at first, but... But, but his life is so changed that they realize that, that 
how could this even happen? How could somebody's life be changed like this? Because of Christ in him. Paul reminds us often of the grace that he experienced because he repeats many times in all his writings, I was the worst of all people. I was the chief of all sinners, Paul reminds us. Yet Jesus still rescued me, Paul says. Paul never got over grace. He never got over it. But in the experience of grace, God laid on his heart that grace is not something that you just receive and embrace and enjoy, but that it's also something that you distribute or traffic. I like to take, well, so far we've taken the word intoxicated and made it good. And now we're taking the word trafficking and making it good. Traffickers in grace. That's why Paul was such an amazing church planter. I mean, he, he was so overwhelmed with God's grace for him that he couldn't wait to share it with the whole world and he attempted to do it. Hey, how many in here, by a show of hands, put them up high, put them up quick, have seen the movie Les Miserables? Raise your hand. Okay, not, not too many. Well, Les Miserables was a classic novel that was written by Victor Hugo and then put... To, to the stage on a play and then eventually made into a movie and that's when I you know finally saw it um, and, and, and here's the thing it is an incredible story or parable about law and grace it, 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 it's amazing I watched that movie and it, uh, l- let me tell you about the movie since, since many here have not seen it it's about this guy by the name of Jean Valjean. And he's put in prison for five years for stealing a loaf of bread. You see, his sister's child was hungry and starving, and they didn't have any means, and he stole a loaf of bread so that they might have food. He got caught, and he was put in prison for five years. Well, in that five years, he tried to, to escape a couple times, and his five years turned into 19 years. And, and uh, he spent 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread. Well, when he was released, uh, when he was released out of prison, um, he was given this orange card, and he had to show this orange card to anybody who he ran into, so that they would know that he was a convicted criminal. And of course, nobody would give him food, nobody would give him a job, nobody would give him a place to stay because he was a criminal. Well, he was sleeping on a park bench one night and somebody uh, talked to him and said, hey, if you go down to the pastor up the street, he'll give you a meal and he'll give you a place to stay. So, so he did that. He went and knocked on the door of this pastor's house and the pastor let him in, fed him a meal and gives him a, a bed to sleep in. And in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean, noticing uh, a lot of silver things, trinkets in the room, um, goes down in the middle of the night, um, steals them, puts them all in a bag, and leaves the house. And early in the morning, there's a knock on the door, and there, when the pastor answers the door, there are these two police officers holding this guy, holding this bag with all of the silver in it. And of course, they come in the house, and... Uh, uh, as they come in the house, what the pastor would say to him would change his life forever. You see, the pastor says to him, I'm so disappointed in you. I am so disappointed in you. And he grabs the bag from the police officer. He walks over to the dining room table. He takes the two silver candlesticks off the table, puts them in the bag, and hands it back to him and says, you forgot to take the candlesticks. And of course, by this time, the policemen are like, whoa, didn't see that coming. 
So they sort of fade out in, into the background and, and leave. That is called grace. Did he deserve it? No. Could he ever repay it? Not on his life. And then the pastor, instead of taking back the bag after the cops have left, you know, sort of get him off the hook, uh, he tells him uh, to take that and make something of it. Do something with this. In other words, you've received grace, now go be a trafficker of grace. Now you've received it, give it out. Now later, Jean Valjean meets a woman by the name of Fantine. And Fantine has a daughter whose name is Cosette. And she's unable to care for this daughter. She just, she just can't. She's not married. She, she has no way of caring for this daughter. So she hires another family in another town to care for her daughter for her. And so she pays them, you know, kind of some expense money during the week. And what she doesn't realize is they're just absolutely cruel to her daughter. I mean, she's, she's you know, she's like Cinderella and the evil stepmother is just, you know, everything bad she has to do. Well, Jean Valjean um, runs into this woman by the name of Fantine when she is about at the end of her life. Um, you see, she lost her job. She couldn't pay this family to care for her daughter. So she sold her hair to get money to do that. She sold her teeth to get money to do that. And she eventually ends up prostituting herself. And, and then that health-wise does her in in the end. And Jean Valjean finds her and he cares for her in the last days of her life, trying to nurse her back to health. Well, he's not successful and she ends up dying. But before she dies, she makes Jean Valjean promise that he would go find her daughter and that he would take care of her. And, and in, an, in an incredible scene uh, in the movie, he finds the family, finally, who has... I mean, he's been searching and searching and searching, and he finds the family who has her daughter. And, of course, they're unwilling to just give her to him. So he takes out his wallet and he says, Will you accept this? I will, I will buy her from you, he says. And, and they say, that's not enough. And he takes more out of his wallet. That's not enough. And he takes more out of his wallet. And he ends up spending every dollar he has on him to buy her back. What amazing grace he showed. It's amazing how that story looks a lot like what has been done for us, doesn't it? Jesus has given all that he had, including his life, and shows us amazing grace. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. We, what amazing grace God has. We, we embrace it, we receive it, we experience it daily, and we give it. So Paul traded in law for grace. From God to us, he says, and, and through him to everyone else and through us to others. Paul traded for Christ, then he traded for grace. But we're not finished yet. We have three more. Paul traded, the next thing he traded for is the mystery. Paul traded for the mystery. And I think this is important because sometimes people ask us, well, you know, what is this mystery? What is that all about? What was God hiding? Right? Um, Paul says in verse 3, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace, 
that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. Now, in English, the word mystery, it's something dark, it's something hidden, it's something obscure or puzzling or secret. What is mysterious is inexplicable or um, incomprehensible. The Greek word is mysterion, and mysterion is different. It simply means that which is hidden. That which is hidden. And here it is something that was once hidden but has now been made known at the proper time by the Holy Spirit. And now we all know because it's been revealed, Paul says. I know it, and now you know it. Paul wrote about the mystery in, in the, his letter to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 2, verse 2. This is what Paul says. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely, Christ. Christ. Namely, Christ. So the mystery is Christ and Christ crucified. Christ as our Savior. In, first Col- or in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery which produces glorious riches in Christ, indwelling in me, Paul says. Christ in you, the hope of of glory and and verses 4 through 6 of Ephesians chapter 3 in reading this then Paul says you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets this mystery is that through the gospel the gentiles are heirs together with Israel that is amazing And you talk about gifts and gifts of grace, as I'm sure most of us in this room are all a part of the Gentile clan. We are heirs together with Israel, God's chosen people. Here is the complete mystery, the complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other. They're, they're unified together through, through this union of both their individually Christ followers and then together. And let me summarize it this way. The mystery is this. Christ, Christ in me, Christ in us. That is the mystery. That is the message. And Paul taught it everywhere he went. I want to show you guys something this morning. Um, I brought um, my special glove. Some of you have seen this before. Some of you have not. Um, This is my special glove, and it's going to do an amazing thing. Okay? Are you all watching? Right? Okay. This glove, special glove, is going to pick up that Bible. Are you ready? Glove... Pick up the Bible. Hmm. It worked at first service. It did. Really? Here, let's try it this way. Glove. Pick up the Bible. Hmm. All right. I'm going to try it one more time. Okay. 
Alright, are you watching? Okay, ready? Glove, pick up the Bible! Do you see this? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, no? Why? Don't you think that's amazing? I picked it up. Yeah. Do you get it? Do you get it? Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Unless you abide in me, you are nothing. In Christ, in Christ, we can pick up the Bible. Isn't that cool? Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Isn't that encouraging? You, 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 you go to work tomorrow, you, you face whatever it is you have to face tomorrow, and, and you know that whatever it is, as you are in Christ, there is nothing greater. There is nothing greater. We sang about it. You probably used your voice. Now, when you leave here today, let's live our life that way. Let's live our life in Christ, not in my own strength. Let's live it in Christ. So I'm not asking you to trade in the American dream and join the adventure so that you can just try really hard to bear fruit. Um, I want to remind you that, that the fruit that's listed in Scripture, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, what is that? It's the fruit of what? The Spirit. It's the fruit that comes through Christ. It's not the fruit of David, although we kind of like to think that way sometimes. But all that gets us is tired. It really does. I'm asking you to become traitors who are Christ-intoxicated people, traffickers of God's grace and messengers of the mystery, living out lives in Christ as he expresses his life in us and through us. This is what we trade for. Grace, Christ, the mystery, and we have two more to go, and they're quick. Uh, Look at verse 6 right there. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. Paul traded for the church. Paul traded for the church. Notice there it says, members together of one body. Paul is reminding us of the incredible dynamic of the church. Um, The church is the only entity on the planet that can bring Jews and Gentiles together on the front row to worship God. The the, the church is the only entity on the planet who who would would have um, former Muslims and, and former Jews sitting together on the front row of a church worshiping God together. Look at Paul in his life. Look what he was saved from. Together, worshiping many parts, one body. I I heard this last week, and I don't know if it's true. Uh, Maybe you do, and you could tell me. Maybe you've asked him yourself. But I read last week that Sylvester Stallone has committed his life to Jesus Christ. Now, I, I don't know that to be true. 
Um, but if it is in time, we will know whether it's true or not, right? His life will change. It will be, uh, maybe it already has. I mean, I don't know him personally. But, 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 but if we had Sylvester Stallone sitting here, and, and we had Paul, who was a former um, condoner of murder and drug people off and put them into prison. And then we have Billy Graham sitting here on the front row. And maybe, maybe we could have Mother Teresa um, and, and then also, um, let's say, uh, Franklin Graham, who, by the way, um, lived a life of debauchery for a period of time in his life. He, he rebelled against everything that his dad tried to teach him. And it wasn't until he's, he's faced up in the back of a convertible somewhere in the middle of Europe, Europe with a hangover that he looks up and he finally surrenders his life to Jesus Christ and recognizes that he can't do it on his own, that he can't live life without Christ. And you know what? None of those people are loved by God any more than the other one. You know, and, and I, my wife is sitting on the front row. She's sitting there with them. Okay? Sarah's not any more or any less important to God than any of those people. Our world may say so. Our world may think so in some ways. But in God's economy, His grace is sufficient for all. And, and there's nothing any of those people could do that, could, that would make God love them anymore or love them any less. And, and as a church, you know, I, I kind of think of, of maybe, maybe uh, Franklin Graham now or Billy Graham sort of as you know, in the, in the body of Christ is the head or the voice. And, and I'm sort of the, you know, the little toe, little pinky toe or something. However, um, I'm still an important part of the body. Or, or a gallbladder. Ask Amber Sauer if she now today thinks that the gallbladder is an important part of the body. I mean, when, when it suffers, one thing suffers, the whole body does. When, when one part is not doing what it's supposed to, or what God has put it on earth to do, the body suffers. So, so Paul traded for the church, and, 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 and Paul is communicating to people to be Christ-intoxicated uh, traffickers of grace, a grace that can give all people of all circumstances hope. You know, you can live 40 days without food. You can go four days without water, you can live four minutes without air. But you can't live a day without hope. People are taking their own life at an alarming rate because they don't see any hope in their life. Jesus. Jesus has hope for us. It's in Him that we have hope. Let's traffic that. So whatever you trade for, when it comes to the church, never turn your back on the church. I mean, it's, it's, it, God, God formed it. God created it. He gave us the church. As imperfect as she is, she is God's chosen tool. And finally, the last thing Paul traded in for was ministry. We're going to talk about that in depth next week. It, it, for what we do, uh, we are going to focus next week on inviting other people to become traders of grace. Now Paul has a really great perspective on this and I really like it. Look at verse 7 right there. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Now have you ever said to yourself, God is so God has been so good to me. How can I say thanks? What what can I do to repay God for what he's done for me? I know I'll do ministry. 
I'll serve Him in some way. I'll serve somebody in some way. I'll do things for God. So then, our doing, our ministry becomes our gift to God. Right? I've thought that way before. But, but that's not Paul's perspective. Paul says that God's grace is so unbelievably rich and full that it is, it is in His infinite grace He's even seen fit to include me in His ministry. Oh my goodness, what a gift! It's God's gift to us us serving, us living for other people. That's God's gift to us, not our gift to Him, and we need to remember that. So, let's all be traitors. Trading the American dream, American success and riches, and I would say the art of doing by ourselves for Christ. Let's trade for Christ and grace, the mystery, the church, and ministry. Don't forget, it's Christ in me. Christ in us. Let's pray. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this amazing grace. Thank you. Uh, thank you for how you, uh, while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we all go live our lives this week, as we all go out into uh, into the world from here. I pray that we would recognize that 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 you are knocking at the doors of our heart for us to walk with you. I pray that we would.